All right, welcome guys to our first uh, Thursday night ministry series for Christian students on campus. I'm glad you guys made it out here, and I'm glad we're back in uh, CBA. I mean, technically GSB, but uh, CBA. Uh, we'll be here all, uh, all semester, so this is the spot, so don't forget. I don't know if anybody went over to uh, Sanchez uh, on, on accident, but we're glad you uh, eventually made it to the right spot. So raise your hand if you need an outline. Uh, we got one down here. Oh, you got it. Um, should be coming around. I think I pass them out to most people. A few up at the top and the back. Kind of keep that hand discreetly raised so Tino can serve you with the word. All right, let's go ahead and look at uh, our outline tonight. We're not going to do too long tonight. We're just going to do about 20 minutes. And what we want to do uh, tonight's kind of a standalone overview to motivate us, inspire us, and encourage us for the entire semester. And I would say especially to recalibrate and reorient us uh, to core concerns, to central matters that pervade every aspect of our Christian life and Christian existence. So in that light, let's read our short title. Ready, set, go. All right, let's say that again. So we want to see tonight uh, reality and community, and we want to see how reality and community interface, and we want to see how they complement each other, and how one leads to the other, and how although one is technically more important than the other, um, it's kind—it's kind of like this, you know. If, I don't know if you've ever heard this one, you know. Uh, People, a lot of times in marriage, talk about the man being the head. The husband's the head. And then uh, someone eventually along the way came up with a real clever response to that one. It's like, yeah, well, the husband may be the head, but the wife's the neck. I don't know if you ever heard that one. You know, the neck. That doesn't move without the neck. So although reality is, reality is central, reality is more important than community, hopefully, though, what we see tonight is community almost functions like a neck to the head, supporting, directing, and opening up into a reality, so much so that if you are not in Christian community, you may discover your Christian reality fading and maybe disappearing, and you begin pursuing a different so-called reality. The world would call it a cause. You're in a different cause because you're in spending your time in a community that is centered on a different reality, a different cause. So although reality is our central concern, and uh, the Bible makes no mistake that Christ is our reality, community is paramount if you want to experience reality and if you want to maintain that experience of reality. And what I hope to show you all tonight, what we want to look at is we want to see reality and community in a very common, uh, well-known gospel story in Mark chapter 2. And this is a story of the paralytic who is uh, let down through the roof uh, right in front of Jesus so have you heard of this story? Raise your hand if you've heard of the paralytic going through the roof. Yeah, most, most people have. So if you haven't, you'll get a little uh, primer on that. But if you have, hopefully this story takes on new depths, uh, showcasing these two central Christian concerns, reality and community. Before we get into that, though, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. I put these verses on here because, to me, these are some of the best verses in the New Testament that show forth reality and community. So altogether, let's read Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. Ready, set, go. Have 
Okay, so uh, reality is very uh, um, apparent here. So underline right there in the first line, the reality is in Jesus. So Paul is saying, you've heard this, you've been taught, taught this. What have you been taught as a Christian? You've been taught that there is such a thing called the reality. And where is it? It is located in Jesus. And the reality refers here to the real and actual condition. What is going on in Jesus for 33 and a half years? What's going on? It's more, it's deeper, it's a deeper reality. It's a more powerful reality than just a miracle worker, than just a sage walking around teaching, giving us kind of, you know, a life coach. There is a reality related to the triune God operative in Jesus. And Paul is saying what you're being taught as a Christian is what is going on inside Jesus. If you could peel back Jesus and look under the skin, what you would see is the reality in Jesus. And that reality is a 24-7 living of God and man. Okay? So that's awesome. That's the reality. Where do we see community in this verse? Where do we see community? Anybody? Where do we see community? The word community is not there. So what is our... What's our trigger word here? What's our flag word for community? Anybody want to shout something out? There's actually two communities here. And the whole force of this passage is we need to adopt a new community. So hopefully with that hint, you see what word is it? The new man. The new man is Paul's technical term here for the communal aspect of the Christian life. A lot of people hear new man and they just think the personal new man, the personal revived or renewed or restored Christian identity or Christian self. That's absolutely not what Paul's talking about here. Because we know in chapter 2 he talks about the Lord created two people groups into himself on the cross into one new man. And now two chapters later Paul says, although you have that as a reality created by Christ on the cross, What you need to do now in your actual experience is put it on. Put it on. You need to put on a new communal life. You were in something called the old man. And again, that is not just your personal old Adamic, old sinful fallen life. That is a collective society and a collective living. And now when you accept Christ, you need to step into a new community. And this is as practical and ongoing and as daily as putting on clothes. And that's why there's this kind of metaphor of put on the new man. When you open your closet door, did your clothes put you on or did you put your clothes on? Yeah, no need to answer. So we also, day by day, need to make conscious choices. And at the end of this uh, little sharing on Mark 2, hopefully we see everyone in this room is going to agree, oh yeah, community is important. Yet why do we have such a hard time putting on real, meaningful, frequent Christian community? No one, no one in this room is going to go, oh, wow, I've never heard, well, maybe a few people, but probably most people aren't going to be, uh, the thought's not going to be new. Oh, yeah, Christian community. But why is it, why do we struggle? Why do we struggle with one foot in the old man, an old society, an old group of friends, an old lifestyle, and we're kind of straddling Christian truths with a little, you know, maybe a big toe in Christian community. Why is it so hard? We're going to see. 
Okay, so with that little, um, oh, then one more thing here. You see at the end, reality comes, comes around at the very uh, last line. Y'all see that? This is saying the new man was created according to the reality. So here we see reality and community interfacing. The reality is in Christ, but Christ created a new man, a new community, according to the very reality that was operating within him. So you see reality and community interface. Okay, so let's go to Mark chapter 2 now. Again, this is the story of the paralytic being uh, lowered through the roof, and we want to see uh, some core concerns, some core values with reality and community. We're not going to focus uh, on the story uh, exactly, but we're going to use the story as a lens to see these two truths. So let's read point number one. Ready, set, go. All right, central focus, Jesus. And let's read Mark 2, 1a. Ready, set, go. All right, short and sweet. What's the first word? Okay, the first word in our Christian life is? The first word every morning of your Christian life is? No matter where where you are, who you're with, what community you're in, our central focus at Christian Students on Campus is Jesus, okay? And I, 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 hopefully if you were at the college conference last semester, you still have ringing in your ear from Chris, Chris's sharing, Jesus is, yeah, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I hope you haven't forgotten that. And I hope you've started to experiment with that truth and discover, yes, in fact, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than a 4.0. Of course, Jesus is better than sin, but Jesus is better than the American dream. Jesus is better than your best life now. Jesus is better than any reality that's out there. Okay, so our central focus is in Jesus. And under each verse in Mark, I just wanted to pepper this story with a couple other verses uh, from the Bible that just kind of bring this out. So we're not going to spend much time on this, but Mark 9, 8 says, They no longer saw anyone but Jesus only. This is the story on the mountain, and Peter and John and James are there. They see Moses and Elijah with Jesus, and that represents our attempt to add things to Jesus. So we want Jesus and the 4.0. We want Jesus and material prosperity. We want Jesus and the white picket fence. We want Jesus and an amazing spouse. We want, you know, we want Jesus and, 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 and right in the middle of that kind of vain attempt by Peter to, to hold on to Jesus plus something, the father interrupts that, they hit the, the deck, and they look back up, and it's Jesus only. So this is the father's recalibrating our focus, and at the beginning of the semester, we want that for you. We want that for everyone in this room. We would, we would be pursuing Christ plus nothing and finding out that Christ plus nothing equals everything. Okay, let's look at number two, main context. Let's read this. Uh, Mark 2, 1. Ready, set, go. Okay, he was at home. So uh, our, our, our main context here is homes. The Christian life primarily happens where? In homes. And that is indicative of a, a, a larger uh, experience. What does it mean for the Christian life to be carried out in homes? What does that mean? Well, you know, I studied architectural engineering here at UT, and I took a class, uh, ARC 318-8. It was an architectural history class, and I had this this history book, architectural history book. 
by this really famous architectural historian with the last name of Kostov. Kostov, really big fat book, and it was a full. I don't know if you use that book too. <laughs> Anyways, it's a it's from pre prehistoric all the way to you know basically the modern. I think it was probably published like in the 70s or something. So it's a full span of of uh, architectural history, and he made this awesome line, and I never forgot it. He makes the point that it wasn't until the early 300 A.D. Early 300s AD, that there were such a thing called Christian churches as we think of them today, right? So you go to church as a building that you visit maybe once or twice a week. That's how we think of church. Where is church? It's in a building that I visit as an event in my schedule. And then I go home or I go wherever else and I do everything else. He had this line in there It wasn't until 300 AD that there was such a thing as churches. Until then, the people were the architecture. That's pretty tight, you gotta admit. Even if you're not an architectural historian. As a Christian, the people were the architecture. That's coming from Kostov, man. He's not known for being a Christian. I don't know if he is. I hope he is. But he is touching on a, the main context of the Christian life. This is the invention of the Holy Spirit. This is how God designed it. What is so... What is so... What is so, um, what becomes true when going home, quote, quote, or going home equals going to church, quote, quote? Church is where you live. So you know what that starts doing? It starts breaking down a problem a lot of us have that is church is an event that doesn't affect how I live every day. When the church is in your home, when the people are the architecture, then church becomes a lifestyle that invades every aspect of your living. Okay, at Seasock, we are inviting you into church in home, where the people are the architecture. Look at this verse I've got right under here. Read uh, Romans 16:5. Read that short snippet. Ready, set, go. The church is in house. Yeah, I love that. The church which is in your house. Okay, so. Hopefully, this semester is going to be full of getting into people's homes and experiencing church. That is where church should happen. And some people have said that uh, your Christian life and Christian experience in other Christians' homes, what percentage would you say that should make up of your total Christian experience and your total church life? If you were to kind of just put a, a number on it out of 100%, what percentage would you put as church in home is this percentage of Christian life? Someone got a percentage they want to throw out there? What percentage would you say should make up your, your Christian experience in other believers' homes? What percentage of your Christian life should it be? Oh, man! That's pretty much it! That's it! 80%! 80% of your Christian life and church life should be experienced in homes. Now, as a college student, that may mean dorm rooms. That, that means where people live. That means where people live. So don't get caught up. It's got to be uh, necessarily, you know, way down in South Austin. Of course, that can happen too. But it's bridging your Christian experience into the daily living of other Christians. Okay, it's awesome. Um, Let's keep moving here. Let's look at our core concern. Again, we're just moving fast here. So remember, in Mark chapter 2, we got Jesus, central focus, and he's in a home. 
Okay, let's look at what's going on here. Uh, core concern. Core concern, what's our core concern? The word, let's read Mark 2, 2. Ready, set, go. Yeah, I love this. Okay, so many were gathered together. This, remember, this is in a home. There's no longer room, not even at the door. And what's Jesus doing? Is Jesus pouring the coffee? Is Jesus baking brownies? Is Jesus playing foosball? Jesus has a core concern. Anytime a group of people is gathered around him, that is, he wants to speak the word. And we're going to see amazing things happen every time Jesus speaks the word. Lives change. Lives change every time Jesus speaks the word. And I want you to focus in on here. Many were gathered together. Christians don't just gather together. They gather around something. Our gatherings are around Jesus speaking the word. Okay? So I looked up on uh, Horns Link. Anyone ever gone to Horns Link to look for a uh, UT organization? And this is an unofficial, quick, uh, just kind of calculation. But there was 10 organizations on each uh, page, before you had to click show more on the pages, 10 organizations. And I noticed down at the bottom, so these are, remember, these are UT organizations you can get involved in, um, student organizations, civil engineering organizations, you know, business, Better Business of Americas, or whatever they all are. 10 organizations per page, scroll down to the bottom, pages one out of how many? One out of 20 pages, so 10, 20, 30, 40, 60 times 20. One out of 30 pages, that'd be a lot. One out of 100? One out of, one out of 1,019 pages. You know how many organizations there are at UT on Horns Link? 10,000 plus, 10,000 plus. I say that to, again, we're, we're, we're trying to focus on community here, so we're, we're, we're sh I'm showing you. How many people are at UT? I mean, 50,000, right? About 50,000? That means every five people you see walking around this campus represent an organization people are gathering around. They have their cause. They have their concern. They have their core concern. And that is an organizing force that's creating community. 10,000 organizations at, at UT, and that's just things that are on the website. So for sure there's more unofficial, informal causes that people are gathering around, creating and sustaining communities. What do we want to gather around? Say it. The word. the word. Okay. Now look at this verse, Psalm 33, 9. I love this verse. Let's read this. Ready, set, go. Why do you want to gather around Jesus speaking the word? When Jesus speaks, things happen. He spoke, and it was. There's no time delay. There's no difference between speech and act with God. He speaks, and it is. It is. He spoke, and it was. Think back to Genesis 1. The six days of creation. Every time Jesus spoke, what happened? 
something happened. Something cosmic, something in the cosmic scales happened. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Was there ever a day where Jesus said something, and then nothing happened? Nothing happened. No, that never happened. Every time Jesus speaks, something happens. There is no difference. Jesus, God, works by speaking. And so if you are gathered with a group of people in your living, your daily living, around Jesus speaking the word, things are going to be happening in your Christian life. If you have been wondering, why am I staying the same? Why are things not changing? Why aren't things happening? You just need to check how much are you in the word? How much are you gathered around the word? So just a good reminder here at the beginning of the semester, CSOC, we've got a Bible reading schedule. And we're in John, uh, John 8 today. Yeah, finishing up John 8. So big plug here, man, big encouragement. If you've not developed the daily habit of reading God's word, here's a new beginning, a new opportunity to try and develop this habit. Okay, so we're gathered around the word. What we regularly gather around defines us, right? So people gather around UT football, people gather around uh, academics. You know, some people uh, down the road in Texas gather around the color maroon, unfortunately. So, you know, people gather around strange things, those Aggies. Listen to this, I love this. Luther said the church is a creature of the word. The church is a creature of the word. What that means is the word creates church. The church is a creature of the word. The word is creative in the most technical and literal sense. It creates something. God spoke and it was. So God speaks transformation. God speaks renewal. God speaks building up. And may he speak that in your life this semester. Here we come to the critical need, okay? So remember, so far the story, really it's just set up. As, as awesome as these points we're extracting out, in the context of Mark chapter 2, it's just set up. Jesus is in a house speaking the word, and you've got to believe lives are changing. One big problem, though, and this is where the story zooms in on one man's experience. This man is paralyzed. He's crippled. So let's read these verses under Mark 2, 3, and 4. The, what's our critical need? Community. Community. Let's read Mark 2, 3, and 4. Ready, set, go. Okay, so I love this. The paralytic carried by four men, this is community. As amazing as Jesus in the homes, in your daily living, changing you through the word is, what if you can't access him? What if you're crippled? What if you're handicapped? What if you can't move? What if you can't get to where Jesus is changing lives through the word? You have a massive problem and you have a very critical need. So this man's experience represents our critical need of community. And uh, they lower him through the roof. And then Jesus, I mean, you got to think about this. Anybody move in, uh, move back into your apartment, you know, this semester? Everyone's had the experience of moving a couch up, you know, three flights of stairs, right? And you got to like, you know, pivot, you know, you're trying to <laughs> pivot around certain corners. Yeah, and like, uh, you know, it's like you're kind of 
doing the, you know, the one end of the couch is hanging over and it's like a two-story drop and you're, you're kind of like getting under and you're kind of doing this one. And anybody ever lose a, lose a cushion on that one? You lose a cushion, you know, and you just hope it, you know, hope it's not a trashed out, you know, standard college living experience down on the ground below and there's trash and hope, hopefully it didn't rain the night before and that cushion just, you know, I mean, that could have been the dude. That could have been this dude. Think about it. They carried him onto the roof in a stretcher. He's paralyzed. And, you know, he's kind of like, uh, guys, guys. You know, they're like, no, it's, it's, we've done this with a couch before, you know. <laughs> and they're, you know, this is a crazy act. Maybe the, maybe the paralyzed guy would have said, you know, you get to the door and it's like, man, we can't get in here. Kind of like this room. And he's like, guys, what's another day of being paralyzed? What's another day of of What's, what's another day between, of, of experiencing the tragic discrepancy between desire and ability? I want to do this, and I can't. My brain has all these thoughts and imaginations and wishes to live a full life, and there's no ability to do so. What's another day of disappointment, of failure, of inability waiting for a better day, waiting for a new tomorrow. Let's just go home, guys. I'm used to this. I'm used to this. Maybe that, maybe he had made peace with his inability, with his discrepancy between desire and act. But praise the Lord, he had four friends who said, no, we can't get in through the door. We're going to climb up on the roof and vandalize this guy's house. (laughs) We're going to figure out how to fix that later. We have a critical need. We will not let you go another day in this condition. We are going to do something unexpected, radical, and break through the roof and and disrupt Jesus' message and insert our, our community, insert our concern right in front of Jesus. I mean, imagine these tiles falling, these lights breaking, glass shattering, maybe on grace, you know? And it's like, who cares? You know, we have got a... I mean, that's in the Mark II narrative commentary, not on the grace commentary. That's the Mark II narrative, not, not the grace commentary. Yeah, it's like, think about it. Think about it right now. And you're listening to Jesus, and probably some people in that room are thinking... What, you know, what is going on here? These guys were desperate for their brother, for their friend, for their companion. And they were, were not willing to let another day go by. They, listen, listen to this. I wrote this down. Um, okay. Okay, these are friends who have the, I love this, persistent, creative, and sacrificial faith to get you to Jesus. Okay, yeah, I know we got faith, but in your community, you need to get together with some people who have the persistent, okay, we go to the front door, let's just go home. No, we're getting in. How about the window? Yeah, that's kind of blocked too. Uh, Their back door? No, it's just, you know, solid adobe, you know, I don't know. Is Is there a skylight? No, it's just straight roof. Let's just, let's just vandalize it. Let's break through it. That is persistent faith. They have creative faith. How are we going to get this guy to Jesus? Let's figure it out. 
Let's think outside the box. Let's also do something sacrificial. If that was my house, I mean, I would be like, man, praise the Lord. I'm glad you got healed. Okay, where are those guys? Because, I mean, someone's got to pay for this. <laughs> so they probably sacrificed. I mean, this might cost us, you know. This might come back around and we might get a, a bill. At Seasock, we have friends for you who have the persistent, creative, sacrificial faith to get you to Jesus. And listen, you need to find those friends. You need to find those companions today, tonight, this week. Because if you wait till you're paralyzed to seek out help, it's too late because you can't move. You can't move. Okay, I love this. Don't you want friends like that? Okay, when I was getting into this, when I was getting into this, something really leaped out at me. Okay, of course, well, first, first thing is, you know, the guy comes down and Jesus does the unexpected. See, when we do the unexpected in our community to bring each other to Jesus for our needs, we discover we have needs that need meeting. We have needs that require uh, addressing that we didn't even know we had. What do you think that guy wanted to hear? He's coming down on the cot, you know, and he's just laying there. What do you think he wanted, he wanted to, to hear Jesus say? He's paralyzed. He can't walk. What do you think he wants Jesus to say? Yeah, you're healed. You can walk again. Jesus says the unexpected. What is, that's not what Jesus says at first. It's not until there's a little theological debate that starts happening that he heals the guy's legs. Jesus is a good doctor. He doesn't just treat symptoms. He treats causes. And we may be living our Christian life unaware, unaware of needs that we have that are plaguing us. And we're, we're expecting, well, I'm going to come to my community group and I'm going to hear this. And Jesus says something completely unexpected. Your sins are forgiven. My sins? What? What about my legs? <laughs> Jesus doesn't want to give this guy just new legs. He wants to give this guy a new life. And he's going to touch a deep need in your being through your community this semester. Maybe that's below the surface. You don't even know you have it. But in the context of community, there is the ability for Jesus so tenderly, so uh, so skillfully to diagnose, to treat, to heal, to restore, to enliven, and to give you something unexpected. You came looking for new legs, you got a new life. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so um, just real quick, let's, let's end by looking at some of these. Uh, and again, we may be inspired, and we, we may kind of be going, well, yeah, I mean, that was, that was good, but I kind of know community is a big deal. But again, why do we struggle so much with real, meaningful, frequent uh, community? Well, let's look at some of these verses here. Genesis 1.26 shows us the need for community is in our nature because we are made in the image of a plural God. Let us, capital U, that's not God in an entourage of angels, and Jesus is just kind of politely saying, well, basically it's us, but it's me. No, this is the triune God. This is Father, Son, Spirit, making man in our image. There is something woven into your nature that's crying out for community, okay? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 shows us the benefits of community. And let's just read these first, this first little phrase to the comma. Two are better than one. Read that. Two are better than one. Okay, anytime you find yourself as a one, 
I want this thought to come to you. I'm there eating alone. Two are better than one. I'm reading my Bible alone. Two are better than one. I'm trying to live the Christian life alone. Two are better than one. I'm studying alone. Two are better than one. You see, community is all expansive. It's all inclusive. We need to surround ourselves with uh, two are better than one concepts. And just to uh, show you here, if you fall without a companion, who's going to lift you up? If you're living the Christian life in the winter, solo, who's going to keep you warm? If you get in a fight with the devil, who's going who's to support you? Who's going to fight with you? You might get beat up. While a man may prevail against the one, the two will withstand him. Okay, now look at this one, Psalm 25, 16. Again, tonight is really just, man, I hope, I hope all semester long we can be thinking together, how can we develop our community? How can we enhance our communities? Or maybe for the first time, how can I get into a community? But this is the cry, you know, this age group, your age group, 18 to 25, is the loneliest generation in America right now. Loneliest generation. Surgeon General, Surgeon General said so. You know who the Surgeon General is? Right? He's the nation's doctor. He's over 6,000 doctors and making pronouncements for the health of the country. And he said loneliness is an epidemic. Loneliness long-term is worse than smoking on your health, the health effects. That long-term loneliness and stress and anxiety can just break a person down. So this is the cry. Psalm 25, 16 captures a lot of our cry. Let's read this together. And let's make this our prayer to the Lord if we're feeling like I need community. Ready, set, go. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am alone and afflicted. Okay, and then lastly, Acts 13.1, I just want to put this on here to consider, you know, maybe what's holding us back from a real good community experience, a meaningful community experience, is we're waiting for this ideal community where everyone is exactly like us. Everyone likes all the same things we like. Everyone laughs at all the same things, you know, same sense of humor, same style, same, you know, extracurricular activities in high school, same, 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 same. And we're like, man, there's no community. I can't find any friends in Seesaw. I can't get built up. I can't get related because I don't exist except right here. And we're disappointed that I'm not just five people I can meet with and have a great time. Okay, that, if you're waiting for that kind of ideal community, it doesn't exist. And that's what these verses are showing us. Look at these five guys here. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul. Okay, two guys are North Africans, two guys are Jews, and one guy is a, a Roman noble who grew up with the guy who murdered John the Baptist. He got saved and came into the church life. These guys couldn't be more different. Two North Africans, one European, two Jews, and they're there praying together. And out of that community group came all of the Lord's move to Europe. So if, if the thing that's holding you back this semester is, you know, it's just, I'm not clicking with anyone. A community group that costs nothing on your side is ultimately worth nothing for your spiritual growth and maturity. So if the cost is getting with people who aren't like you, praise the Lord. Let's get built up and let's develop our communities. And uh, so that's it. So we got Jesus, homes, word, community. In narrative order, that's it. But actually, in our experience, it all starts with, do we have a community 
that can bring us to Jesus as our reality. Okay, let's uh, close here. I'm going to pray, then we're going to just spend a few minutes to uh, meet up and talk and, and think about what is my experience like in community right now, and how can I develop that. And then some of us are in community groups, so we're going to meet up just around the room and talk and see each other again. And if you're, you're not in an uh, official community, then uh, try and meet somebody, try and join somebody, and uh, get plugged in. Okay, let's pray, and then let's meet up. Here, I'll pray for you all. Jesus, we love you, Lord. We praise you. Lord, we just, I'm just asking for everyone in this room, Lord, that you would enhance our community experience, Lord, and bring us into a deeper experience of Christ as our reality. Lord, don't, don't let us stay alone. Don't let us stay individualistic and isolated. Lord, may, may this be the semester that we find those four friends with creative, radical faith to get us to you at any cost. Amen. We love you, Lord, and we praise you.